Alternate perspectives are what makes the world whole. In today's special episode, I have a debate with Nathan Bashes. He's the co-founder of Every and a former employee at Substack. We're going to have a debate about subscription versus advertising and what is best for a media company. Nathan's point of view is inspired by every subscription-forward business model, and my point of view is inspired by Workweek, where we don't pay wall anything. This was a ton of fun and a lot of lessons to take from it. Let's dive in. This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. Smart companies market to the smartest people in their audience. That's why I believe in what the folks at Sail Through are doing. Their platform is designed to build relationships with the audience who actually move the needle for your business, instead of scaling for the sake of scale. Head to sailthrough.com to check out their amazing product or via the link in our description. And now, let's get into today's episode. Okay, today we have a totally different type of episode for Media Moves. Uh, Nathan, welcome on. Excited to, to talk subscription and advertising. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so let's give context to everyone. If you want to introduce yourself a little bit of like, and then connect that of how we met, that would be a good start. And then I can jump into how this conversation came to be. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So um, I am the co-founder and president of Every, which is my favorite job title that I've ever had. <laughs> because uh, as uh, do you listen to Dithering by Ben Thompson and John Gruber? Yes. So they have the joke where Ben Thompson's the CEO and John Gruber's the president and John Gruber likes it because it sounds equally prestigious, but with a lot less work involved. And that sounds good to me, too. So I, was president. I was president for a while. I, I, I concur. Yeah, it's kind of great. Um, you know, a lot less moral weight. Um, so anyway, I'm the president uh, of Every, and basically we are a writer collective that's focused on business. We have a bunch of different writers that we work with. Some have their own newsletters, some do guest posts, and, you know, we're just really focused on the tech industry. We kind of do, like, think PC, long form, commentary. You know, a lot of our stuff is focused on really fundamental issues of, like, how does strategy work? Like, how is the industry of technology unfolding and evolving? And uh, also kind of have a focus on how people show up at work, right? Like, how do we work together as people? How do we process information? How do we communicate? There's a lot of really interesting stuff in the realm of emotions and psychology that, you know, is impossible to get around because at the end of the day, we're all humans. And Dan writes such amazing stuff on that. We have more people that that work on that too. But that's that's kind of the core of, of what we do. And, um, you know, the reason I think why it's relevant for us today is we're, we're a subscription focused business and possibly subscription based as we'll get into as we'll get into. Um, and so we have content that's paywalled obviously, and people, people have to, uh, you know, become a subscriber in order to read it. And, um, you know, this was a choice that, that seemed to us pretty obvious when we started because of our backgrounds. And now I think it's a lot more, I think the sort of like thinking in the media industry is a lot more interesting and there's a little bit more of a debate going on. But before this, I used to work at Substack. I was their first employee. I was the kind of like VP of product there. So did a whole wide range of things from coding features to designing the subscribe flow to hosting the podcast for a little while where I talked to Substack writers about how they did their stuff. Um, yeah. And worked at Gimlet before that, actually, which was an ad based business. And when you for like when every launched, it was like, oh, this is like a or this is the bundling of Substack, right? Yeah, the yeah. rebundling. That was like the big brand. Everyone was like, you know, that was the, that was how it was branded. And you guys build your own tech stack and went from there. And like, that was like the idea. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And how we met was basically, you know, just through that. I think I'm trying to remember what the connection was. Well, I was, I was an early subscriber. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I think like last spring in 2021, we finally like connected and um, you guys were raising a little bit of cash and, I wanted to support the journey and love the overall vision, but mostly just you and Dan are great people. You love the vision of a subscription-based business? I loved the vision of Netflix <laughs> for newsletters. Uh, I think that was a really cool idea. Uh, yeah. uh, I still think that's a really cool idea. And yeah, that's and we've gotten to know each other since then. And uh, so context of how this came to be, I tweeted something on March 4th that said, subscription-focused media businesses are an old way to make money. Few subscription-based companies are able to really scale profitably, and those that have proven they're as much marketers as they are content creators. And I took that personally. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, there was there was a little bit of love lost there uh, 
where Nathan retweeted it with, uh, I took that personally with the MJ, uh, with the MJ meme. So, but seriously that, though, it's completely all right. That was totally a joke. And, uh, uh I just thought right. it was fun for the sake of ratings for this podcast. Let's act like we hate each other. Um, <laughs> so then the, the DM happened and said, Hey, we should debate a little bit about this because work week is all free. We have no paywalls. Uh, and I'm pretty open that I don't believe in paywalling normal content and like even essays around certain specific areas and have my reasons for that. But uh, so two different approaches to the problem. And and I think today there's a lot of similar views that I think we'll overlap and, and share on, but yeah. it is why advertising, why subscription ours is my tweet, right? Is it wrong? Uh, which we probably won't come to inclusion to, but that's why you all are listening. So uh, let's get into it. So why did you disagree with the tweet? Like, what about it did you disagree with? For us, it's been super powerful to have subscriptions. And I think there's an interesting counterfactual of like, what if we didn't? Would we have grown faster? Would we, would we have had a bigger reader base? Would we have had more revenue, a better business? Maybe. But it has felt really good to us to have subscriptions. I think um, the thing that one that it really helped us do was for our way of running a business, which is we wanted to raise some capital, but not like tons of capital. This is great because, you know, we have still pretty large ownership over the business, Dan and I. And when you're starting with a small audience base, you know, you can't really sell an ad against it. So you have to wait a while before you can really start charging. I think, I don't know. I'm curious if you have like a way of doing it when you're first getting started and your audience is small, but like, you know, for us, it felt like, I don't know, that seems complicated and kind of hard to do. And certainly at scale, administering a subscription business is complicated. But when you get started, you know, with off the shelf tools like we did on Substack, pretty much all you have to do is write stuff and then check the checkbox to put it as behind the paywall (laughs) instead of in front of the paywall and connect your Stripe account. And, you know, just make sure you're publishing consistently paid content in addition to free content and, you know, getting people to run into the paywall. But it was a great way to get started. And with annual plans, I mean, we really, it, our, our funding actually for the business came mostly from customers rather than investors. And so that was really nice for us. And then, you know, as we started to scale a little bit more and our list got to the size where we could sell ads to, we were hesitant for a long time to do so because we just thought, okay, like how much work is that going to be? Do we really have the budget to like hire someone? How do we even know if, if like they're good? We've never hired anyone to sell ads before. And a couple of things happened that made it really easy for us to get started with ads. You know, one was just one of our writers, Evan Armstrong, who writes napkin math was like, you should sell ads. I want ads on my content. And so that's obviously a big motivator is just to like be responsive to stuff that people work with, what they want to try, you know? And then two, we found this platform swap stack that made it really easy where we could just basically create an account and we had a lot of inbound demand for advertisements. So we tried it. It worked really well. We decided we want to keep doing it. Now our ad business is growing a lot beyond Swapstack and we have our own kind of like in-house practice around it. And it's and it feels like pretty transformative for the business because it helps us. Every paid subscription business has this kind of trade-off in it, which it helps us solve, which is when you put content behind a paywall, it's not doing work for growth, right? And so you probably need to have some content in front of the paywall in order to convince someone that they want to pay for access to the content that's behind the paywall, right? And so the problem is this content that's in front of the paywall, you're not making any money at all on, and it's hard to kind of like justify it. You're a little bit worried about like having too much that's in front of the paywall whenever you know, you're know you a subscription business. But then if you have too much content in front of the paywall, then you worry about you know subscribers, are they gonna churn, like what's gonna happen? And so having a way to monetize our free content, which is basically like monetizing our marketing for our subscription product, really helps us solve that trade-off and just makes a much nicer kind of like more even business where, you know, we have diversified revenue streams, which is, which is always nice. Um, so that, that's kind of like our story with subscriptions. I think it's uh, a little bit different than the kind of like the athletic or the information or Substack that are very much like ads only, or sorry, subscriptions only, no ads. Yeah. Maybe um, subscriptions based, some may say. Right. Uh, which yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think like you guys have just started diversifying uh, your ads business is growing. My question is like, why actually like subscription is, and this is what I wrote in the newsletter that kind of sparked that tweet. But in that essay, I use you all actually as an example. Like if you're going to do subscriptions on a paywall, at least do advertising like minimum. Mm -hmm. But then I used Mario Gabriel and the generalist as the other example of like, he was charging $300 a year for content and a community. And he said, 
screw it. I had Mario on the podcast recently. Which yeah. I don't know when this will air, but uh, he'll talk about why he did that. But he raised prices to $500, took away all the content behind the paywall to only charge for the community. And my kind of belief with subscription is like it is reader revenue, which is wonderful. But why ever gate every piece of content is potentially marketing, even if it's news based and value based yeah. and like drives the world forward? It can go viral. And like it brings a lot of debate of like, well, when do we not paywall this? And when do we do paywall this? And then like you're only as good with subscription content. You're really only as good as your last piece. Cause like right. I, if I'm like, dude, this piece sucked, not worth it anymore. Like that's possible. So like why even still do subscription with content? Like why not look at other other lines of, of revenue potentially or other ways to do subscription? Right. Like instead of charging uh, for access to our content, if we kind of like followed Mara's example and charged for a community or Could maybe do that. We did courses or something right. like that. Yeah. Totally. It's reader revenue just on a recurring revenue basis, right? So like what makes you still want to knowing, seeing ads growing of your platform, your writers wanting it, seeing success with advertisers. Why keep content behind the paywall? I mean, I think the main thing is like Mario has a knack and a passion for building community that we just don't. We would really like to have a really amazing community, but it's somehow not natively in our DNA as much. It's much more natural for us to spend a lot of time researching and writing and then publish what we've written than it is to create a place where people can like connect with other people they like. And we have a community and it's like, okay, but it's not nearly as good as Mario's if I'm being really honest. Right. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of focus. And I don't know, like maybe, maybe if we just took that work and like focus and and put it in the community, that would be a really good move. But I think these kinds of things are like really complex and it's easy in theory in a business to say, this is working really well for someone else. So like we should do it. But there's this also kind of like gut level feeling I have that I'm not sure if it would work so well for us, (laughs) you know, if we did that just based on some complex combination of factors. So if it's not community, then like, what is it, right? Like what else could we do to charge recurring revenue for? And that, I don't know. I mean, Courses are definitely something that we're very interested in. Feels like much closer to our very curious audience, like very yeah. much alignment of like probably people who buy online courses for your audience. Seems a lot closer to our DNA than than community, but um, it's hard to do recurring revenue for that, especially if it's like cohort based courses where it's like you go through a thing at a specific point in time and then you're kind of like done and it's an intense sprint that you do. Might work if we had like a whole bunch of courses, but then there's kind of this blurred line between courses and content anyway. Like if it's like pretty down the middle educational how-to content. I kind of questioned the true viral potential of a lot of those articles anyway. Like a lot of the posts that I've written that have converted the best over time are posts that didn't really go super viral. I mean, when they first came out, a lot of people sent me emails saying they liked them and I kind of continued to get some messages. But it's like an evergreen explainer of like a really important idea from Clay Christensen and applying it to the modern like tech industry. Yeah. You know, like that's something that's going to be valuable for a really long period of time. It's a really long form piece of writing that's like pretty detailed. And it's kind of like a course in a way. And and I don't know actually how viral that content, the potential of that content is. I mean, probably some, right? Like some people will for sure have shared it with people or, or tried to share it or whatever. And, and there would have been some growth from that. But I think there's different types of content that have different properties. And um, there's lots of content that we consume all the time that we get a lot of value out of that we don't have this share impulse, you know, associated with it. Yeah. And that's the, you know, you know, the argument that I hear all the time for subscription is, and I'll use Workweek example, they'll say, hey, uh, which is a decent framework to think about. Are there people that you're writing for that like buy products for some area? Like that right. if you're writing in the B2B world, if you're writing for marketers, they buy a lot of SaaS tools. That means there's a lot of advertising dollars to support that. It should probably be advertising based. But if you're writing for consultants, they like don't necessarily like buy a full suite of software. So like if you have a newsletter, charge a subscription. And like that is potentially the only argument that I can like foresee of why that would make sense is like mm-hmm. a, a little bit what you're saying is like if there's no actual like profile that you're creating for that like has marketing dollars that's attached to it, then like you should just buy that because your LTV will be higher. What's interesting and like you guys don't do what the athletic and the information do, but 
paywalling everything, I think you just lose a massive top of funnel, right? Yeah. Like you just like, you're not allowing people in the door and you're still doing the annoying fucking tactics that like ad companies do with pop-ups and everything like that. You're just trying to get them in your system. Um, yeah. And so that's where I have an issue is like, there's almost nine out of 10 times and, and more than that. People are going to subscription because a lot of the points you just brought up, like investors tend to like it more. It tends to be a simpler business model. You like can explain it. The recurring revenue is nice. Cash flow up front for annuals, like all that's great. But I don't think it scales. And then like to scale it, you normally need like a lot of quality content because you're only as good as the last piece. So like right. the information, the athletic, like huge newsroom, the j- information, like massive quality of journalists. Yeah, is it really like? worth it just for that? Or like, could they have a much bigger impact with the high quality journalism that they have by making it free? I do think there's something, there's different things. Like some things are more scalable than each other than others. Right. And I guess when I'm thinking about it, I think ad based businesses are probably like, in, at least in terms of audience, right? Like the most scalable, right? Because no one, like how many millions of people read like Buzzfeed in their heyday, right? Like you can kind of just reach everyone if you have some way of like showing up in their lives and optimizing for viral stuff. But then there's a lot of really big scaled subscription businesses where they charge for content. And I don't know, I think like, you know, the athletic would like to uh, model themselves off of something like, you know, Netflix, where it's like, oh, wow, this is a really massive scaled business. And we happen to do text instead of video, but like, whatever, we can build a really massive and it's for sports fans and whatever, but we can charge more, whatever. Like they have, they have their own kind of like internal comparison, but I think they're hoping to be more like Spotify and Netflix than they are like, you know, some very small subscription only niche product or whatever. And, uh, you know, like the financial times just announced they had a million subscribers. That's like a pretty, pretty good scaled business. Yep. But I don't think that like going back to the community thing, it's hard to imagine. It's just really hard to scale community. Right. Totally. And I think like doing recurring revenue on anything is I think very tough to scale Mm -hmm. and financial times, like great example, they did hit a million paid subscribers like they have 70 full-time marketers and they like are a marketing machine and that was point of the tweet is like those that have scaled in my opinion they're sacrificing like most people do subscriptions out of idealism i think and like Uh jessica lesson talks about this at the information like you you can make better value choice for your readers like you just get to prioritize your readers I like kind of don't think that's true because like the financial times just basically does get you tactics and makes it really hard to cancel and like does all the things to like grow their subscription that like ideally maybe aren't good value for users. Yeah, totally. So this is a point that I 100% agree on with you. I don't think that subscriptions is inherently superior in terms of like more aligned with readers or whatever than advertising. There is a whole thing about this. You know, a lot of it is the sort of like religion from Substack about it. Yeah. And I definitely, to some extent, always drank the Kool-Aid when I was there, but like kept a little bit of a like, hmm, I don't know, kind of yeah. stance, you know? And now that I'm a few years out of of being at Substack, and also now that I'm like, you know, running a media business, it just, the incentives pull you to do different bad things. So the incentives to get clicks are like one thing, and there's bad ways of getting clicks and then there's like good ways of getting clicks, right? And there's like a lot of gray area. And then there's there's the same thing for subscriptions, right? So like the incentives to drive subscriptions are like, I will teach you the secret to getting rich. I will induct you in the club of people who understand what's really going on in society. I will reaffirm your most sacred beliefs, but like not really lead you to question them any and maybe do it in the most inflamed possible way. There's all sorts of terrible ways to get people to become paid subscribers, right? right? And um, the difference is they tend to be like just different kinds of bad things than the bad things that you would do when you're trying to expand an ads business. And I think the only answer, there's no perfect model. Every model is going to have some bad things you could do that sort of like help you succeed within the model. And the, the only real bulwark against this is the people running the business have to just have some sense of like shame and taste and, and values, you know, that they're willing to live by and some restraint and some ability to not operate their business 100% at the max pushing the limit of like what you might do, but try and think about it. Like what kind of world do I want to contribute to that I live in? And that always means being a little bit suboptimal in some ways on a spreadsheet in order to be more optimal in other ways that are harder to quantify and maybe don't even accrue to you privately. Right. 
So yeah, hundred percent agree with you there. Yeah, and if you're gonna be suboptimal, which I like the thought process, and like if you're if you're running a media business, I actually think is a great thing to live by. Like making everything like ninety five percent pushed on the type of revenue that you have allows that five percent to question like, is this good for our audience? Right, and like t- that's what I question like all the time, because ultimately like that relationship with your audience, I actually believe whatever you may lose on that five percent, you actually can capture with much higher LTV downstream with like other things that you do in the future. Totally. Um, and if you're going to do that though, and this came from the essay that I have, but like there are something like 38 companies that have 100,000 paid subscribers or something like that. And over half the list is over 100 years old with Athletic and Substack being basically like the newest of the bunch. Uh-huh. And then if you look at Substack, like I think they announced recently like 25 million GMV. The Athletic lose $50 million a year right now. Yeah. Like it's like not proving necessarily, even when you're subscription-based which I have to explain that to the audience in a second, but like it's not proving to actually be like a scalable model. And even when it is, it's really old businesses that have like lots of brand clout. So like, how do you think about subscription with like new businesses that can it actually like, how do you oversee coming that scale problem that like so far for the last couple of decades, it's been like pretty tough to overcome. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, we have a lot more free content than the information of the athletic does is because, um, we think it's really incumbent upon us to prove to the world that we're worth subscribing to, right. For the subset of people in the world that we're targeting and no one's going to take it for granted that our, our stuff is worth it. Right. You have to actually show up not just with one good article, but like consistent articles over time and a consistent experience showing up in people's life in a way that, that feels always high quality and reliable. You know, I think The Athletic was able to get away with it and scale a lot faster than the information because they were trading on the existing credibility that a lot of writers had with their audiences. So they would take a beloved local sports writer and then make them a better offer, get them to jump ship, and then that sports writer had a direct connection with their audience on a Twitter account in 99% of cases, and then a bunch of people would subscribe because they've been reading this person for years. So when you say that like most of the people on your list of like 100K plus subscribers club we're over a hundred years old. I mean, a lot of the credibility established is like connected to institutions that are over a hundred years old. Like, you know, but the athletic like had spent, like they had a huge mark. They have a huge marketing budget yeah, and like too. that growth team, the original athletic growth team are like heroes in the growth world for how much money they were spending so fast. Oh yeah. So like what made them unique is they did have that organic growth push because the writers had the audience, but like, they incentivize their writers through like a home run system. I heard this story one time. I think Alex Mather told a story at a, at an event that I was at, but like they had a Slack bot where if the writers actually had a story that drove a certain amount of subscriptions, they got a single, a double, a triple or a home run. And they were alerted through a Slack bot of like, Hey, this story was a home run. It drove 50 subscribers and they got bonuses off of that. And like, <laughs> I've like thought about that a ton of like, that is a genius way to incentivize your writers to go. Yeah. But like, is that aligning value either? Like, then you're like, are you falling into like the click? Like, even though it's not ads based, are you like falling the clickbait to like get people to subscribe because like you want to hit a home run? Yeah. Um, and like sooner or later, like, I think actually the just alignment of, of values, no matter what, they end up like being questioned, um, which is similar to what you said. But I think that like example at the athletic, I always think about is like, that was so interesting of a good way to drive growth. But is that like any different than like being like, Hey, we need a clickbait line here for this advertiser to get more clicks. Right. No, it's not, it's not morally superior at all in any way. And I don't think that that means that it's evil. It just means that it's not morally superior, you know? So the people who say that it is inherently, so just kind of, I don't think are right. Yep. So also I can now admit this, so the tweet that sparked all this, there's the first line says subscription focused media businesses. And then the second one says subscription based media businesses and uh, full transparency. I have a copywriter for that helps me with my Twitter uh, that repurposes my essay content for me on, on Twitter. And I told Nathan this before the call, but like I didn't realize that he changed those words. And I see like subscription based are companies that like totally require a paywall for all their content, which is like the information and athletic. I think subscription focused are like businesses that can have like multi arms of revenue. 
I definitely don't have like issues with that. I still think like I question a lot of scale problems, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean like they're the better of the two choices, like hands down to me. And I see them slightly different. So uh, we were like laughing. He's like, I definitely consider us this. And I don't see the difference. I was like, uh, the intent of that was slightly different of, of how I, how I phrase those. And they were seeing the same. Yeah, totally. I'm curious, like um, what do you feels is the more scalable path to you advertising as the main revenue driver just simply because every piece of content can spread far and wide potentially like what makes it more scalable so i think it like advertising by itself for what it's worth isn't like not the most scalable business either like media in general i say this like on every investor pitch for work week i just start and say like media sucks uh hard business to be in. Uh, and it's true. Uh, there hasn't been a publisher that's worth $10 billion in decades, basically, besides that like focuses on anything related to the news or, or text-based stuff. So history would say that. But for me, the best media companies have a connection with their audience. And I think like this idea of building fandom and getting trust and affinity is like what all media companies are thriving for, the good ones. Mm -hmm. And then if you're like, actually, that means your intent is high. It means like, hey, I'm like trying to like get the intention for you to like love us versus like your attention of BuzzFeed, right? Um, And there's like a shift there of like intention versus attention. And I think what I, the reason why I'm advertising first, I would say, or marketing based first is because it allows to you to capture revenue downstream with that affinity and you can capture more people. And so like when people say like, well, your content's great. Why don't you just do a subscription? The reality is like you're creating a huge barrier there Mm -hmm. and you're like not actually developing consistent relationships where people like feel bought in. Cause I think the piece that does get missed in what you, what you guys do is I'm a free subscriber of every, I know I'm a free subscriber. So I actually like, there's a piece of me that there's not an affinity there. Cause I'm not in, mm-hmm. I'm not in the in crowd. So now you like actually lose a little bit of that affinity. Cause like, you're not in the highest of possibilities of connection. Mm-hmm. And then downstream, if you want to monetize through an event or a course or through a venture, like all the ways that now you could like look at exploring to monetize, you have a smaller pool of people. Cause you like cut that affinity off with the subscription. And so it's not that I think majority advertising is also a rough business, but it's like if you're actually trying to build a connection with your audience, doing that with advertising is, I actually think, a better way to do it than just like start out with a subscription straight up. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that... Um, or paywall, I should say, just to not confuse everyone. Right, not right, doing right. a paywall. And the idea is that like if I'm a free user, then I sort of have that weighing on me. And I'm kind of like, oh, every... I'm like in their funnel. I'm not like in their community. You know, you're missing something. Mm-hmm. And like that could get you to subscription, but like you're missing out on someone who like the reality could like love what you do. Right. And my thought process is like, okay, if you have, and this is just like math, um, but like if you have 10 people hit your site and one subscribe for $300 a year, and then the other nine you make in total, you know, 20 bucks on advertising, mm-hmm. let's just say, right? So you're making $320 across those 10 people. If you made them all free, you might only be making $25 in advertising. So at first you might be like, whoa, huge difference. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you do advertising? And this is like where I think a lot of people get stuck because they're like, the math doesn't make sense. But the reality is, if you do a good job, you actually can like, capitalize on instead of only having like that one of 10 person that like is all in on every, you now have 10 people that you can like monetize through a research report, through a guide, through an event that like you have a much likelihood and a more consistent habit to build that relationship with them to go downstream. Mm -hmm. And like my bet is that you can sell them more products, services, tools, experiences because you've like built more of a consistent relationship with more people. One of the big marketing trends I'm paying attention to is the disappearance of third-party data. Owning your audience is so important for marketers today, which is why I love Sailthrough. Their marketing automation platform digests a frankly astonishing amount of first-party data so executives can properly understand their audience in less time. Head to sailthrough.com. That's S-A-I-L-T-H-R-U.com to check them out or visit the link in our description. 
I kind of want to survey our audience somehow and like figure out from free people like how they feel about every you know like yeah. do you feel like you're part of the community or something I, I, I have to figure out the right way to do it but it goes a little bit against my intuition my guess about how a lot of people feel who are on our free list there's of course there's some people who are like we're just something they sent up for a while ago and we keep showing it their inbox because they haven't unsubscribed yet but it's like whatever like it floats around yeah. we've all got a bunch of stuff like that in our inboxes right and obviously we want to have a more special place in your life than that but you know the only way to get there is through having an experience of like you know uh, like a wake up moment where you're like oh this is really good let me like pay closer attention to that so then th- there's this other set of people who maybe they've had that experience but they've not paid yet and how do they think about us and what are our options with regard to like other types of things we could do like of course our research report or all the things you said i kind of feel like there's not going to be some huge difference in conversion between someone who's on our free list if we're trying to sell a research report and someone who's on your list if you're trying to sell a research report like I could be totally wrong. There might be a little difference, but I think it was a, probably a pretty marginal difference if it's like the same list in the same research report, but one list there's a free and paid component and another list it's all free. I think like that kind of goes against what you just argued with athletic though. Like if you have a personality and you're driving forward, potentially that's yes, right? Like if you already have a brand and like people are like, oh, I love every whatever. Uh, if they really are loving it and there's a price problem, like yeah. one, they're not the best of users. The other thing that like I think gets missed in the equation here is if like, let's use climate as an example. If you like write a paid climate newsletter that you charge $100 a year for, you start to build a free list naturally, you know, you know this, but your free list is probably growing faster than your paid list, et cetera. Yeah. But what like media companies, and this is written about a lot now, but like, I believe like you actually make the vast majority of your revenue normally from like 1% of people in your whole ecosystem. Most traditional advertising businesses aren't like this, but if we're thinking about like modern digital publishers, they actually like, if they're starting to diversify revenue, it's the same people going to the event, buying the subscription, like it's the same group of one percenters. Mm -hmm. And if you do a subscription, you actually lose that chance to like build that relationship with more one percenters. And you guys do a better job of like getting free content out there more. But like my whole thing is like, if you're paywalling everything, you're literally just like losing the chance to define your 1% audience because like they have to be that person the day they show up. But like, how do you actually earn that over time? And for me, we like have ways of quantitatively measuring of like, is this person a gold subscriber? Well, how do you build that relationship? Like, well, first I want them to refer three people. Yeah. 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 If they do that, month two, we're going to do this. And like you make way more with a smaller part of your list. And if you just pay all everything, you never have a chance to like actually build that top of funnel to find that group. I think it all hinges on to what extent do people on the free list of a subscription based or subscription focused company, to what extent do the people on the free list feel like there's a lot of value there and they're, they're like kind of like bought in and they're paying attention, even if they're not a subscriber yet. And my guess, just based on our data, is that there's like a substantial percent of our free list who like would self-identify as loving every, but they don't feel like the urgency to buy a subscription because it feels a little bit like, well, you know, it's kind of like the extra stuff, you know, like they don't feel yeah. it's like there's always a lot of stuff to read and it's always kind of hard to make time to read stuff. And, you know, like competing for people's attention in their inbox is just like really tough. But at the same time, they've probably had an experience that's like, Oh, I've read a couple things from them and I really like them. Like I, I really like yeah. that, you know? And I, I, I don't know, but I would just guess, I think a decent chunk of our free list basically feels that way versus how you would feel if you're on the athletic or the information's free list, which is, I don't know, somehow I got in these people's funnel. I've never really read anything by them. I don't really know what their deal is, you know, yeah. because all their stuff is behind the paywall. I've never like spent, and also I think another, there's a huge difference between news and like essays and analysis and our essays and analysis are much longer. They're more personality based. They could be more weird and artful. Potentially they could be more kind of like just crazy and risk-taking intellectually. The information in the athletic, they're really good at what they do, but what they do is very straight down the middle, kind of like, here's the thing that happened. That's important. We reported it, you know? And so it's just kind of like, it is what it is. You know, there's not a whole lot of like personality there. 
And so I, I think that maybe also partially explains some of the difference in how I would imagine or in how I think our free list feels about us versus how the free list at the athletic or the information might feel about them. But I do want to say the other thing you said that is really important is what I would label price discrimination, where you're talking about with like the 1% of your audience where you earn most of your revenue from. Because like for us, we have events, we have other stuff besides just writing that we put behind the paywall. We built some software tools. We might do some more stuff like that in the future. And like we could have sell merch or something like that. If all these things were separate purchases, then we would give our most dedicated fans the opportunity to spend a lot more with us than they currently do, right? But what we're doing instead is bundling it all behind the benefits of being a subscriber, right? We have kind of like the Amazon Prime model almost of like, here's a whole bunch of stuff that's got zero marginal Which like cost. Netflix and Amazon Prime is like why the subscription boom happened, right? right. I'm like, look at how sick these businesses are. Yeah. Does it work? in media is like i think data says at least to get to 50 million in revenue is really hard like really in subscription only there hasn't been anybody to do it uh besides the athletic and they burned a lot of cash and i think you know it's it's really ironic of like the raising for a media company you've done it not easy to do because at first i like last summer when i started talking to investors like one really prominent media person was like just make the athletic for business like just do that like paywall everything you're doing like niche b2b like just make one subscription across like niche b2b that would be i'll 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 lead i'll like Mm -hmm. like that's great idea and then like six months later the athletic sells everyone finds out the numbers and the people are like well are you paywall like is this like the athletic for business like cringy and it's like it's it i think people are kind of coming to a little bit that like the athletic model is not meant to scale at least profitably. And that was like the whole point of my tweet. It's like the information and athletic, you know, debatably it's an old model to just paywall everything and hope for a subscription. And the last like piece I would say that's not like financial related. And I'm a pretty hungry capitalist. So like you very rarely hear me talk about what's better for everything. But like the reality is I do think there's something to say about like right now, so many amazing writers and thinkers and journalists, like in general, there's so much amazing people out there finally creating content because the barrier has been lowered mm-hmm. to like write a newsletter on Substack that takes like 10 minutes of the first time, right? Like there's so many great people. Like, are we doing a complete disservice to the world by like not allowing people to get access to that without paying for it? That's a different debate and question, but like, right. I do think that's part of like what work week is is thinking is like we want recurring revenue to be in our revenue stack but like are we doing a disservice to climate to like keep people from wanting to enter that space by like paywalling the content and like maybe are we under monetizing it then for something like climate maybe but like it allows you to like educate more people in the space and i think like if you look at the disinformation happening in ukraine on the news side like having ethical questions also question your business model is like not a place I want to sit. And like, it's really hard on the news side, but then even on like the thinking side, which I think you and I both have like a couple people that would like relate to that, that, that work at every and work week. But like, I'm like, damn, I wish like more people could read this. This is so good, but it kind of goes against in some ways competes at least in some ways with like the, the main business model. It's interesting. I kind of think about it like a lot of, the content that's behind the paywall is not the stuff that anyone would read. And that's kind of why it's good to be behind the paywall. The stuff that is like top of funnel to getting into our world is in front of the paywall. And top of funnel doesn't just mean where it sits in like a user's journey of becoming a subscriber from like a financial point of view. Also from an intellectual point of view is what it means. It means that our free content, and I, I'm really only speaking for us, I think there's probably a lot that's true about what you're saying about people who are putting like content that probably should be in front of the paywall, behind the paywall, right? Like on their sub stack or wherever else. Yep. But um, I think Ben Thompson does a great job of this. The behind the paywall stuff is like, it's the deep cuts. I think people, a lot of people don't understand that. Like it's not, it's not like content is content. Like there's there's the the big idea that you might want to share with everyone that's like a sort of shareable thing that's like that's you know whatever like it's 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 timely or it's it's a new perspective and then there's like the working through the implications of that big idea for the people who liked that and want more and like that's the kind of stuff that should go behind the paywall you know so yeah 
I think there's at least inherent in the subscription model, a lot less risk of that than the picture you were just painting. But at the same time, I do think there's a lot of people who just like put stuff that shouldn't be behind a paywall behind a paywall, you know? So like, yeah, in reality, the damage that you're talking about is, um, is probably being done to some extent. It's just a question of, does it have to be done? Is that actually what people should be doing to make their subscription business grow? Or are they actually, they're not even just doing their subscription model in a more optimal way. And like when I was at Substack, it was a thing where we were always like, the number one mistake people make is under-investing in free content. Like they have this idea that because I'm a paid newsletter, I need to make all my stuff paid or like the vast majority of my stuff paid or like my best stuff paid. And it's just the wrong mental model. It's not the best stuff. It's the deepest part of the funnel stuff, which better or worse for the reader, depending on the day, depending on the topic, it doesn't matter. It's like, once you get this stuff, then you can go here and you can read that. But before that, when you're kind of learning about what our whole worldview is in general, you get that here and that's free. I think that's like just really hard to like judge of like which one is which. So like there's, that's hard. And like, this is, uh, uh, I learned the first subscription for news uh, was in Germany in the 1600s. And the kind of higher authority folks in the space would actually have a piece of paper that they would pay a certain amount for. And that was the newspaper and they would pay a flat fee every time it was delivered. And basically the next tier lower of, of economic class wanted access to that information. Mm -hmm. And someone would basically put summarize what the newspaper like news was on a handwritten note. And those people paid a subscription out of their paycheck. And like, I think it's like really interesting to think like at one point the model was to think like, wow, for like our 1% audience, we sold one-off things because we made more money. And then for everybody else, we actually like lowered, like created more access through subscription. Mm -hmm. And like somehow through the last 500 years, I think like subscriptions been like, well, avoid access, avoid act. The more we can avoid access, the more we can like avoid them having benefits then the more subscriptions we can sell. And it's like kind of like not, a, I don't know, it's not in the spirit of like, I think the original intent. And, you know, now you have like people saying like no ads of part of it. Well, now you like have conflicting business models, even like within yourself. Right. right? And like, that's a big piece of it too. So I think the, the multi, multi-prong approach is like for sure the right way to go, but still struggle even like scaling decision-making and judgment of like, is this piece free or is sure. this piece paid? What do you think about metered paywalls? Because this is, I think, solves a lot of the issues with it, which is basically what people are paying for is convenience. So like, if I'm a repeat reader of the New York Times, eventually I'll just get annoyed at hitting the paywall and like, I know how to get around it, but I might think, eh, why? I mean, I should just pay them. It'll be a lot more convenient. I'll have like a better form factor for my experience. It'll be more pleasant. And, um, but the information is still there. It can still spread. They don't have a hard paywall. The New York Times, though, like is an expensive like it's basically like almost two hundred dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Just like if we take like average, I just like think about this way. Like if we're talking B2B, there's like a different story there. But like the New York Times is made to be like an every person newspaper. Mm -hmm. Like they cover like news that's critical. Not necessarily sure how how that's beneficial for like what they're doing to charge two hundred bucks a year for access. But I think with metered, it's just proved not to be the best business like mm -hmm. we're in it to make money and like i do think they solve a lot of like the access problem like okay you get three a month and five a month and like i know i understand it but like there's also like look at the failures happening right now with like a lot of the newspaper businesses that went to meter mm -hmm. to like solve that it's not really working and like that's why i'm not a believer in microtransactions either because like right. you also have to balance like as much as you have to balance accessibility and quality you also have to balance making money right. and the metered one you need a lot of eyeballs to like make that work um a lot a lot a lot of eyeballs and so like when i think about like digital media startups i would never recommend anyone doing metered because like you're basically like not gonna have the math be in your favor but do you think it's that you need eyeballs or like affinity because one way of thinking about a metered paywall is like oh, some percent of just this mass of people will convert and it's a very low percent inevitably. And so you just have to have so many eyeballs. But like, I don't know, Patreon is in some ways kind of like a metered paywall. Like there's a lot of people that can consume stuff from a creator and, you know, like a YouTuber or a musician or whatever and like really enjoy it and basically 
you get very light benefits from the Patreon, but it's like a way to support it. And I feel like the meter paywall is kind of like a way for the New York Times to almost have their cake and eat it too and like be the, have their own little Patreon. And yeah. you see it with The Guardian too. Like they pit, I'm not saying that these are like, you know, incredible scaled businesses or whatever, but they're like decently big. I mean, the, the Times is the big, I wrote about yeah. the Times, definitely the biggest one, right? right? But they're also like 130 years old and have like the cash from the, uh, they were the most profitable media company for our almost a century yeah. uh, and that built up a war chest that they could like make strategic moves. And so that's like, is it just an old business that like they've been able to thrive on because they've had that network effects already? Like potentially, I think like the, in terms of like, is it fan affinity? Like if you have the affinity, is it just there? I would just like go back and say like, well, then you're just like, basically like that is an interesting, like, math problem but like is there better ways to, like could you find recurring other ways of doing that besides just like doing the paywall like can you keep your content free and then like take advantage of that of that actual affinity through something else rather than like i don't think tips charity like donation I, those aren't like unless you have huge amounts of eyeballs mm-hmm. it's normally like not in, like statistically like patreon like all those like most people don't make enough money sure. to like even remotely live on so like maybe supplementary at best but most of those like aren't business models that i think like are are actually like meant to support an ecosystem right what kind of like things besides charging for you know convenience if it's if it's the metered paywall model do you think are good because like in the b2b context events and you know data or research reports or whatever like maybe you know in a more consumery business context like courses or kind of like context where people it's like stuff that people want to do like like a cooking related thing or like a crafting related thing like a course type thing might be good what other things are like like let's say you're the new yorker right this is an interesting example to me because a lot of people really love the new yorker you know like there's very strong affinity there but it's less obviously like there's I'm not sure what they could do. They have the New Yorker Festival. I think it's probably a blip for them revenue-wise compared to subscriptions, but like in ads, but like, I don't know. What, what would you do in their case where it's not like there's this obvious like thing that you could sell? Yeah. So uh, Austin Reef one time and I had this conversation uh, when the Hustle launched Trends. And um, for context, uh, Hustle free newsletter, million and million and a half uh, subscribers, pretty engaged, high affinity audience in general. Trends was our subscription product we launched, which was like a community and free research content to like start business ideas. Uh, $300 a year upfront annual spend. And when I talked to Austin about it, uh, he was like, you know, I think it's like, great. I'm sure you had like huge success immediately, but he's like, you probably like could have potentially launched and sold like one-off trends reports for a hundred dollars each and like capitalized way more on revenue per user Mm. and made more. And you of course lose the recurring then, right? Like that's, that's the problem, but like you're capturing way more cash flow than actually like doing a one-off subscription because like that audience was eager to buy anything. And so even though like trends was successful as a subscription, is it actually like a, a product that like we could tap into? Like what, you know, how does that repeat over time? Where like, if you actually have like an organized process where you're like, Hey, we have the data of like these top of audience, like they would buy this trends report about like the plant industry. That's like how to, how to crack this industry. And you charge 50 bucks for it. Could you like have as much cash flow, which is the point, like one of the points you made earlier, like it's a great cash flow to get started. Like debatably, you could start to do that like with one off products mm-hmm. and like make that. And then over time, you could like bundle all of that up if you have like hardcore fans and charge like a way higher amount. Right. But like having if you're going to like monetize content, I've actually kind of like fallen to the belief and and think Austin was right. It's like if you have that high affinity audience, like just like do one off pieces that are like super high quality that like have very bottom focused to to use your words like very bottom focused audiences and sell them for like high price points and if right. you, or, or like high price points compared to your audience and if that's the new yorker i mean honestly maybe it's like a writing class like everybody loves you know right. an illustrator class like it might be like the things that people love about you the hustle is like entrepreneurship like you got to find the like thing that people love but might be one-off stuff instead of uh, just like bundling behind a paywall immediately, yeah. which comes with a ton of complexities. I think also the New Yorker could do like, it's like a weird idea, but like books or something like that. Like yeah. all their writers like write books for the most part, like the vast majority yeah. of their writers are, it's the kind of writer that they attract. They could totally just 
go direct and work with those writers rather than Penguin Random House or whoever else. And I mean, that's an interesting example of a one-off purchase that's like right there with the thing that people already want from The New Yorker. I think about this a lot. Like, let's think about universities. They have a recurring revenue piece of like being part of an alumni network, mm-hmm. right? But everyone gets that content for free. Everyone like, every, they send everything in the mail, flyers. I'm not sure like what universe, but universities, public universities with football teams send you shit all the time, right. right? And they make their sports content free. Like everything they basically have to consume around the brand, they make free. And then they monetize in like one-off ways of like buying shirts, buying tickets to a game, making a donation. Like they have a whole ecosystem that like they really like, use that brand as like an entry point as an alumni. And, you know, I think that's like an interesting way to like approach and think if you have that much affinity, they're not just being like, Hey, give us like $200 a year for this like thing that they hide all the other stuff. They keep all the other stuff out there and they do one-off purchases. Yep. It is an interesting hot take that user revenue is good, but subscriptions are overrated and one-off purchases are underrated. Yeah. Because if you actually have an audience that's a, like has high affinity, it is recurring. Mm-hmm. You can predictably talk about that. And like people want to talk about recessions and like all that stuff. Sure. But like I can tell you as someone who had a subscription product through COVID, people cancel. It's not right, like yeah, they yeah. just like are like, sweet, I don't care because I signed up for this. It's like, no, you get like devastated with cancellations. Right, yeah. So like no matter what, like no business is safe unless you want to use like unethical tactics of like, like the New York times does and like make Make you go through a terrible, yeah. yeah, uh, Make it impossible to cancel. So I think there's actually like a larger possibility to build like deeper relationships by doing one-off purchases. And if you actually have high affinity and high quality, they'll just keep coming back to buy those things. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, it's definitely something that we've thought about. Our default has just been packed everything behind the paywall. But the big place where we probably won't do this is with courses when we get around to it. Yeah. Because courses are just such a different category of you have actual cogs there, right? Because like yeah. you, you have a limited number of you basically have to have like a student teacher ratio, you know, yep. um, and so, uh, you know, that would that would be tricky just to bundle in subscriptions. But uh, yeah, that is an interesting, interesting thing. Why do you think more people haven't experimented with it? Like, do you think it's basically just everyone's been blinded by subscription hype because of Prime and Netflix, like you said earlier? And then at this point, this sort of like tides are turning on those. I mean, the New York Times leading media company by revenue in the world does subscription. Netflix has had massive best media company in the last like five decades, basically created mm-hmm. uh, Amazon prime, like the flywheel of their business is prime. So I think, yeah, people got like really obsessed with subscription. Also then like the run of dollar shave club and like all of the things that everyone was like, Oh, people are willing to pay subscription. Cause like they just put in their credit card. Cause it's like, we lower the barrier. You don't need to swipe anymore. It's like doo, doo, done. Yeah. Right. Like, all those reasons were the push to subscription. And I think people got lazy in their thinking of like, is this actually like the best business model? Right. Like really? Or is this just like the easiest one to copy? Cause like, it looks like what everyone else is doing. And like the times does it, but like the times literally has a newsroom that no startup will ever be able to compete with. It's just not possible to do. They have so much cash and so much history and so much like reach, uh, organic reach yeah. that like, it's just brutal. And so then if you like, or like take that out of the equation, cause it doesn't work. Netflix, good example of like, I do like hope one day there's like other mediums that can compete with Netflix. But like right now, like video is really like dominating because cable was such a bad experience. And I think they capitalized on that. Like mm-hmm. their owning cable was so bad. Right this is so easy. It wasn't necessarily like the choice of like, I like paying a subscription. It was the choice of like clear pricing. Like your cable bill was subscription too. Just no one, it was always over all over the place. Mm -hmm. But with text, it's like, it's just really difficult to scale. And I think people got lazy in their thinking and didn't realize that like most of the most successful people have our companies are like really old and have been at it a long time and have a big war chest of not only writers, but cash. And they're like marketing machines. And I think very rarely do organic paid subscriptions just naturally grow 30% a month. Like it just very rarely happens. But if you have a free product that can happen. And so then like, how do you capitalize on that? It seems like the kind of fundamental force is for new startups that have to grow audience, how do you, if you are charging for something, 
not charge for so much that it caps your growth, right? Because you need to fill your top of the funnel. The New York Times already has. Their top of the funnel is the world already. And so they don't have that problem, but you do. So how do you solve that? You need to have something good that's free. And I think the question is, how far do you want to go with grappling with that force? Where we've chosen to go is we're going to have a lot of really good free content. We're also going to have a lot of paid content and we're going to structure it as a subscription. And our free content is going to have ads on it. And where you've chosen to go is different, but kind of similar. You're going to have more free content and you're still also going to have paid content, but it's going to be one-off purchases and it's going to be something like a research report, an event, whatever. And your goal is to keep getting recurring purchases from people, even if they're not subscription auto recurring by focusing on creating really high affinity fans. And that allows you to price discriminate, which is great. And it allows you to have more of your free content, do more of the work of creating high affinity fans and creating growth for you. And so those are kind of like the differences in bets. And I think the key question is, does the sort of like stability in the compounding nature of auto recurring subscriptions outweigh the extra growth you get from having more stuff be free? And I think that's like sort of the bet. There's obviously scale of advertising. Industry Dive is a good example. Yeah. Like no one knows them. They bootstrapped at hundred million dollars in revenue this year. Like Industry Dive is twice the size of the Athletic in revenue. Yeah. Like that is crazy to think about, and no one knows them because they're ads based and like they're not. It's not like a sexy business. So like yeah, I think like question of scale and profit. Like in the end, like that's that's what makes it interesting. I also think this is my like this is my uh, tip that I would do if you like are getting started is write a fucking amazing piece of content that like is bottom tactic, like a mate, like that you feel like you can charge your audience a premium price for whatever you're doing, whether it's like in cooking sport or business, and then charge five bucks for that piece and use that cash flow, like start to promote it, make some money and then start to put ad dollars behind it. It doesn't have to be a lot because what's going to end up happening is like, you'll actually immediately find your 1% audience who buy the $5 piece as like a lower barrier. They're going to love you because like they just got a ton of value. Mm-hmm. But then everybody else, you like collect an email address when they sign up. It's already high intent. Like they're like, I wanted this. Eh, I actually don't want to pay five bucks for it. Like fine. Mm-hmm. But like they already put in their email address. Now you are building like a free list. That's like a one-off purchase that now you have a newsletter the next day that hits their inbox. That's like around that piece of content that you charge $5 for. Yeah. And like, it's a growth tactic, but it's actually like a value driven growth tactic that like allows you to immediately understand the quality of your audience. You also get cash back of your user growth yeah. of, of at least you get five bucks. And so that's like something that uh, there's a few companies that I know that have done that. And I think it's a really smart move. I think it's interesting. I think it's kind of like almost a, a meta point for this or like a, a almost like, so what it's kind of like the really important thing is just is the content good? Cause like, yeah. I think you're basically going to be fine if uh, you charge subscriptions and your content is amazing. As long as like enough of it is free that you're not kneecapping yourself too bad. And you're basically going to be fine if you, you know, maybe charge for one-off pieces and you have a high enough affinity audience that they keep buying stuff, you know, and people actually want to buy things in a recurring way, even though they don't have to, it's not an auto recurring thing. Like, if the content is great, that's going to be fine. And like the hardest thing in the world to do is like have consistently amazing content that like scales you to like lots of different audiences because there's something it's like at the end of the day, it's just like a, a talent business kind of. And so that's almost the more important thing here. And I think the two sort of like different strategies that we've chosen for what to do with great content is like, I think either are probably pretty close. I think there's, I don't know, there could be really, really huge differences, but it seems to me like given that we've got a lot of free content and given that you're charging for stuff, you know, like it's pretty, I think it's relatively more marginal than the figuring out how to have consistently amazing stuff. Well, I mean like 99% of content we put out is, is free 99.9. Right. So there's like a stark difference there. I don't know what yours is. Maybe 20% ish i don't i don't no, know like 50, higher, 50 is free. I, yeah that's great i didn't even know that's a good question 50 is high i'm gonna start asking people that question um yeah the way we think about it like a bicycle it's every other one pedal stroke down is grow the audience the next pedal stroke down is convert them to paid yeah and i think like that model could get to 50 60 million in subscription probably at scale and like 150 to 200 million in ads potentially you know like mm-hmm. there's like interesting 
a difference there of like, that's what I would like question next is like, how do you actually go down that funnel? And where is the addressable market to scale? And that's like the thing that I've been trying to push a lot of the audience that I have forward is like, there are really good 10 to $40 million media businesses to build. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't hate anybody that's done that, but like, I want to push people to like think bigger in media because like we've been lazy in our thinking as an industry for like decades. Like just put a banner ad on the side of the internet, like just like we did with magazines. Let's like just put this thing in front of this content to get a subscription. It's like just not innovative. It's not like creative. And like because of that, like our outcomes have been lower. Our like values have been lower on the public markets. And like we fall into traps like clickbait and misinformation and like all this other stuff, like media culturally can like change all that. I just like want people to, to push themselves forward with, with creativity and innovation of how they make money. Interesting. I love it. Sweet. Well, as much as this was a debate, it was an awesome conversation and uh, I really appreciate you, you coming on. And uh, if you don't already go follow Nathan on uh, Twitter at NBA Shaw, and uh, we will, we will pick this up next time. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. A lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move, then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. I'll see you next time.